0: help clients achieve their vision through a deep understanding of what is important to them that requires planning, money, and time. Learn more
1: and subscribe today at markets-work.com. Welcome back to the Free Lunch Podcast. Greg, last week, we talked about different account types, if you recall. I do recall. Looking at the difference between transactional, fee-based, discretionary accounts, we had a discussion around fiduciary and its role in each of those accounts or not. Right on. How advisor is spelt with O-R versus E-R. One indicates one is a fiduciary and one indicates one is a salesperson.
2: And what investors or layperson on the street would have the foggiest idea of which is which?
1: Well, I mean, it is a bit of uh blow and smoke. And look, we can sum it back to this. We're licensed as portfolio managers. So we are fiduciaries, regardless of how people spell advisor. Exactly, and
2: for us, I mean, you can legally be a fiduciary, or you can behave as a fiduciary. And I think it's safe to say that, at least for all the time we've worked together, and from my career in this business, we've always behaved as fiduciaries, even though we legally weren't. Now, with as portfolio managers, we legally are. We have
1: to be, so nothing changes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, and as part of that discussion on fiduciary is what got us going about our topic for today, because. As a fiduciary for many clients, we not only get asked, but we counsel people on things like proper planning. And usually we're talking about financial planning, but what also comes up is estate planning. And this is something that we're going to get into a little bit today because the importance of having an estate plan is significant. You'd never want to run into a situation where somebody's passed away without having a properly drafted will and estate plan. That's right. And as you say, we spend a lot
2: of time talking about financial planning, of which estate planning is part. But a lot of the financial planning we do with people and retirement planning, which we spent several podcasts talking about, this is all dealing with kind of planning for what happens while we're alive. And estate planning is really geared to answer that question. And you know what that question is? I'm dead. Now what?
1: I guess it doesn't matter because you're dead,
2: right? Exactly.
1: But it does matter because you might have a goal of leaving a certain legacy behind, or you might have a goal of funding certain family commitments for next generations. And if you don't have those things properly outlined and planned and documented,
2: it doesn't matter, right? No, that's absolutely right. So I think estate planning is something that we're going to start talking about today. And I think over the next couple of months, there will be probably a number of different podcasts where we deal with the various elements that make up the estate planning process. And today, I think we should just get started as to discussing what exactly is estate planning, why it's important, and and where do you start? Well, let us know. Where do you start, Craig? Believe it or not, everybody has an estate, or nearly everybody has an estate, because your estate consists of everything you own. So that could be your car, your home, other real estate, bank accounts, investments, life insurance, furniture, personal possessions. So you could have a large or modest group of assets, but everyone has an estate and they also have something else in common
1: and that is that no one can take it with them when they die. Don't you find that everybody's mom or dad, the older generation, part of their estate was things that aren't important to us anymore. Things like the good china. Everybody had a set of good china that they would pass down from generation to generation and I can tell you if somebody gave me some china it's not leaving the garage. Yeah, no that's true. And so a lot of
2: possessions like that that are very meaningful to people, they often get passed down separately from the will just because as you say many of us these days don't cherish the same kind of things. But at the same time they are part of the estate and they need to be dealt with. So when you die and we say when that happens and it's obviously it's a when and not an if, most people would probably want to control how those things are given to the people or organizations that they care about. And so in order to make sure that your wishes are carried out from the grave, you need to provide instructions stating whom you want to receive something of yours, what you want them to receive, and when they're to receive it. Of course, this has to happen with ideally the least amount paid in taxes, legal fees, court costs, that kind of thing. So that's estate planning, making a plan in advance, naming the people or organizations you want to receive the things you own after you die, and taking steps now to make carrying out that plan as easy as possible later. But good estate planning involves a lot more, and there's other things that will be part of it. So a lot of people, when they think
1: of estate planning, they just think of, oh, the will. But there's a lot more involved. Well, there's three documents, right? That's right. Exactly. So what are they? The will, personal directives, yep, and enduring power of attorney. Exactly. So How do those come into play? So the power
2: of attorney includes instructions for your care and financial affairs if you become incapacitated before you die. So some people will unfortunately incur some sort of disability or disease like Alzheimer's or something that makes them unable to handle their own financial affairs and somebody needs to be named to look after that for them. And that's very important. You want to make sure that there's some arrangements made for disability income insurance to replace your income if you can't work. So you need to plan for that time
1: when you might not be able to work and provide income for your family. Well, nobody wants to plan for that event, but there's a reason why there is things like disability insurance and long-term care insurance, right? Exactly. If you're a business owner, you need to provide for the transfer of your business at your
2: retirement, your disability or incapacity or your death. Obviously, if you have minor children, you need to name a guardian for them and the guardian might be responsible for their care and
1: for their inheritance. Actually, let me go back to those two points. The business one, I've run into this a few times recently where let's say there's two people and they own a business and they're not married. They're just like two partners and one passes away and they leave in their estate, their half of the business to their spouse. But their spouse has no interest in running the business. All we're saying is here, there has to be a plan to deal with bridging that gap. In regards to the kid one, I've run into this one even just this week where somebody called me and said one of their family members had passed away and they left a nephew without any parents. This nephew is in their early 20s and they're going to inherit a significant amount of money at age 24, 25. And they're worried about, will they blow the money? So that's also got to be documented somehow in your estate plan. Yep, that's right. Other things uh, would be
2: if you have family members with special needs or with disability or something like that, You want to be able to provide for them without maybe disqualifying them from some government benefits. And so there's some tax considerations there. And you mentioned dealing with loved ones who might be irresponsible with money or they might need some creditor protection in the event of divorce or something like that. And also you want to make sure that as much as possible, you can minimize taxes, minimize court costs and unnecessary legal fees. That may include doing things like providing for trusts in the will and that kind of thing.
1: So it starts with the will. Your will is where you're going to document all of these items, or most of them, also the personal directives and enduring power of attorney, right? But is the will just drafted once, Greg? No. And we've talked about this with
2: financial planning, where we say, you don't do a financial plan and then you're done. It's a living document and it's a process. And so you revisit your financial plan on a regular basis, as everybody that listens to this podcast knows. And the same thing with the estate plan, because things change. Some of the Concerns that you might have when your children are minors may have gone away by the time you're still living and you're updating your will. And so things do change on a very regular basis. And we usually recommend that people revisit their estate plan every three to five years or whenever there's a significant event that would cause them to revisit that.
1: That's really important, especially in today's day and age where you've got, let's call them modern families. I'm part of a modern family. I've got stepbrothers and other brothers and just a broader family than the traditional definition. And within that comes its own challenges. If you've got multiple sets of parents, siblings that may or may not carry the same bloodline as you, but they're still your sibling, and there's maybe a premature death in the family, a remarriage outside of that original family, it's really important that the patriarch of the family... Really, document how those assets are to be distributed. You have to really define it, right?
2: Yeah. And estate planning isn't just for certain people. So it's not just for retirees. Obviously, as people get near retirement, then they tend to revisit everything. But it's not just for people in that age group. It's for people, whether they're younger or older, wealthier or less wealthy. Because in the end, what you're really talking about is maintaining the control, being able to have your wishes being executed even though you're not around to make it happen. So it really is critical for everyone and, and some people's estate plan might be a lot simpler and others might be more complex, but it's still something that everybody should do. And one of the problems is that there are a whole lot of people that
1: don't plan. Oh, I know one. The artist formerly known as Prince happened to die without a will and it really caused a problem in his estate. Yeah, exactly. And that's an extreme example, but there, I think there's many people that don't have a will. And actually a question we've had many times over the years is, look, I haven't had time to update my will. I'm going on a trip. What should I do just in case something happens? And the legal advice that we were given, again, and this is not advice we are giving. Absolutely not. But, but it's advice we were given is that, hey, you can just draft a holographic will. You could just hand write out on a piece of paper and sign it what your wishes are for your estate in the event of your untimely death on your upcoming vacation.
2: That's right. And that's the kind of thing, of course, if somebody is in that position, they should consult their lawyer, their estate lawyer, and get good advice on that. Because if there is some way to alleviate stress by being able to get something on paper that's current before you leave on a trip, for example, then obviously that's worth doing.
1: And there's got to be some benefit to going through an estate lawyer Because there's a cost to that exercise, right? Yeah. Versus doing a, uh, I don't know, what are those will kits that you buy at uh, Indigo? Or you go online and download your free will kit. I mean, there has to be a reason why lawyers can charge what they can to administer estates, right?
2: Well, it gets back to our do-it-yourself discussion.
1: Yes, you can draft your own will, but if there are
2: considerations that you haven't made in drafting that will, it could have very significant consequences, which may be... Well, in excess of what you would have paid a lawyer to uh, assist you with.
1: And we're not lawyers. No, we're not. We're just speaking from the experience that we've had in dealing with many estates over the years, right? That's right. And estate laws do change from time to time.
2: And there can be changes that you might not even be aware of or other considerations. So it's worth consulting with an expert. So
1: what happens if you die without a will? So if you die
2: without a will, basically, in essence, the court decides what to do with your estate. So that's called dying intestate, meaning without a will. In those situations, then you'll go through a court probate process and the courts will decide what to do with all of your assets. And it can be very complicating if there are things like uh, second marriages, families from previous marriages and things like that. And in the end, if you die without a will, it may well turn out that the court does not see the distribution of your estate the same way you would have seen it. And so there could be very significant consequences. And God forbid, if minor children are left without parents,
1: then if the court appoints a guardian, it may well not be
2: a a person that you would have chosen to raise your children.
1: So listen, are we recommending that people draft a will and document all of their wishes in that document? Of course we are. Of course, why wouldn't you? <laughs> Otherwise, you run the risk of just creating all kinds of chaos uh, in your aftermath. Well, that's right. And It's chaos
2: for the people that are left to pick up the pieces. So presumably, if you were to pass away, you're going to leave a spouse, possibly children, brothers and sisters, family members, who are presumably grieving, and at the same time have to deal with something that would be highly complicated and complex. And that's not what you want to uh, leave behind.
1: What if, though... You have an individual person who's single, never married, no kids. Do they still need a will?
2: Probably. Although in certain cases, and in this case, I'm thinking of my own daughter who is living alone and she has some assets. She has some investments. She's got a car, furniture, stuff like that. Not a large estate.
1: But what about like a 65-year-old, single, male or female, whether they're divorced or never married, whatever? And I'm giving you a loaded question here, by the way, because- if they die without a will, what happens to their estate? That's a good question. The court will decide. And what they'll do is
2: they'll look for other family members or they'll look to see where will this money go?
1: And is that probably
2: what that person wanted? Absolutely not. And there are many people who plan to leave their money to charity or other organizations, the church, charities. And why wouldn't you want to be able to ensure that when you die that those wishes are carried forward? So, yeah. really, as you mentioned earlier, The estate plan, really, the will is one of the three primary documents of the estate plan, and it's really the cornerstone of what we've been talking about, and that is addressing how your assets are distributed among your beneficiaries.
1: Well, I have something on the will that's come up in the last few years. Lots of people will name multiple beneficiaries in their will, and their goal is to spread their wealth, whether it be to, as you mentioned, charities or extended family or something like that. Mm -hmm. I just learned this. So let's say you name four charities and you give them each 5% of your estate. Yep. Well, by naming them as a percentage beneficiary, all of them get to know the exact value of your complete estate. Well, and there's more. And what's more is that wills,
2: are actually available, uh, they're public information, and so when somebody dies and the will goes through the probate process at the court, it becomes a public document and other people are actually able to see exactly what your will states. And while it may not state specific numbers in terms of the total assets that you have, it certainly would have personal information that some people might not want to be publicly available. And there is a way around that, and some people actually will use trusts as part of the estate planning process
1: to avoid having
2: that information publicly available.
1: Well, and going back to that point though, if you don't want to create that information overflow, mm-hmm. what I've been told, again, information given to me, not yes. me giving it, is that if you name the beneficiaries in your will, but you attach specific dollars to the, each of the beneficiaries, so instead of 5%, you're giving some charity $50,000. Sure. Then it avoids that issue. Absolutely. Absolutely.
2: So let's talk about the will for a second. I mean, the will provides instructions. It doesn't avoid probate. And probate basically is the process by which the court essentially certifies that the will is the legal, the last legal document, and that the executor is able to go ahead and distribute the assets according to the will itself. So the court approves your death. They do. do. (laughs) Exactly.
1: (laughs) We've confirmed that he's died or she's died. That's right.
2: (laughs) And so when we talk about the probate process, and again, it's a little bit different in each province, but the one thing that is important to know, and that is that there are fees associated with the probate process. And in some provinces, the fees are allocated as a percentage of the value of the estate, In other provinces, it's just a flat amount or up to a flat amount. And in other provinces still, there are no probate fees.
1: Let's give an example of that. So if you're somebody who lives in Calgary and you have a place in Vermeer or Radium, one of those places that many Calgarians go to, and you leave Alberta and make BC your permanent residence. Yes. So two things occur, right? Number one, your current will becomes void, I believe. That's right. You should have a will in the province that you reside. Absolutely. Yep. So that's an issue. The second issue is that let's say you die in BC, the probate fees in Alberta are a flat amount. It's something like 525 bucks or something something like that, that, right? So it used to be 400, it's gone up, but it might be in that 525, 600 maximum range. Whereas in BC, it's a
2: percentage of your estate. That can be a huge difference, right?
1: I was just involved with
2: an estate where if the probate had been handled in Ontario, there would have been a $26,000 probate fee, but the will was able to be probated in Manitoba where there was a $0 probate fee. So it does make a difference. And in some cases, where you live is where you live and you may not have a lot of flexibility in that, but it is something that people must consider. And so probate usually deals with all of the assets that make up your estate, but certain assets actually bypass the estate. And those kinds of assets would be things like RSPs, RIFs, tax-free savings accounts, and insurance policies where there's a specific beneficiary named. And so in many cases, a husband and wife will name each other as beneficiaries on their RSPs or tax-free savings accounts. Well, when the will is probated, those assets don't actually make up part of the estate because they could be transferred directly to the named beneficiary.
1: But only on the death of the first
2: spouse. Only on the death of the first spouse, that's right. And so that's the spousal rollover provision that the government offers on those types of accounts. And so there are ways to reduce the probate fees. You can't avoid them entirely, but you can reduce them by naming beneficiaries on those types of accounts and on insurance policies. And other things that a lot of people use for estate planning purposes is they'll own property jointly with their spouse. And so if you own property jointly, and joint is what's called joint with right of survivorship, then if one of the joint owners passes away, then the assets basically go to the other joint owner and the original book value is carried over and there's no, and that also avoids probate. So those types of property or assets are essentially outside of the estate for probate purposes.
1: You know where those fall in though, is if you have a property in Phoenix, like a lot of Calgarians have a property in Phoenix. Yep. And the property there is not held joint with writer survivorship. It's held joint, I think it's called joint tenancy. Tenancy in common, that's right. So basically each spouse owns 50% of the property. And at the death of one spouse, there's actually a tax bill to be paid although they give you a little bit of a break because they assume that you're not going to fill the other 50% with somebody else. So just a slight difference, right? No, exactly. So the other thing I did mention earlier is estate plans may
2: also involve the use of trusts and trusts can provide some ongoing benefits for your family, including the opportunity to reduce taxes. You can shield assets from creditors, shield personal financial information, as I mentioned from the general public and a lot of trusts, uh, particularly among some high net worth individuals, will be established prior to death. So those are what's called inter vivos trusts, and they might include things like family trusts and what have you. And those trusts, again, are it's an estate planning tool. And in many cases, some people might put all of their assets into a trust, and essentially they won't have any assets to pass along through the will on their death. And the trust obviously would survive the death of the donor or, or one of the uh, trustees.
1: But there's pros and cons to putting things into a trust, right? I mean, we'll probably spend an episode on that. I think we will because there are a lot of pros and cons.
2: The pros can include the things I mentioned, like um, the opportunity to essentially split income, beneficiaries receive income from the trust and lower tax rates and things like that. So there are some definitely some benefits there. And there are some negative things to do with trust. Those would be things like, well, obviously there's costs involved. You need to uh, file annual returns. You need to, you know, have trustees and, and uh, legal fees and things like that. So lots of opportunities and lots of minefields. And talking about trusts and dealing with trusts is something that you absolutely need professionals, accountants and lawyers in establishing those trusts.
1: I saw it a couple of times, one recently where somebody had set up a spousal trust. So the assets from their estate would, bypass their spouse and be held in a trust. And then the spouse would receive income from the trust, but not the asset itself. I'm not sure why they set it up this way, but what ended up happening, Greg, is it actually really handcuffed the surviving spouse and what they could do. So as an example, they had to get their driveway redone. In order to pay for the driveway, the spouse had to provide three estimates to the trust company and the trust company decided which company to go with to repave the driveway. So that created a lot of hurdles. For sure. And again, that's why
2: it's really important to have professional advice and to really understand the implications of the decisions you make yeah. in this whole process. And one last point on trusts. trusts can also be established in the will. And so in many cases, if there are beneficiaries who are minors or if assets are going to be transferred to Younger children, there might either be a trust established until the children reach the age of majority, 18 or 19, or they might have certain requirements that a portion of the assets will be distributed at a certain age, like age 25 and the balance at age 30. They're called testamentary trusts because they're created in the will, and those are very common. So inter vivos is is prior to death. That's right. And testamentary trusts are established in the will.
1: All right. So let's
2: talk about cost of doing this. Can you talk a little bit about that? I mean, it really varies. If you're talking about strictly doing a will, putting together a will and the three documents that we talked about, the will, power of attorney and personal directive, I guess the cost realistically would be what? In the $1,000 to $2,000 range or less. I mean, we've worked with lawyers who have done that for in the three dollars to $400 range.
1: Yeah, those are like straightforward, plain vanilla states, right? That's right. But I mean, you
2: have to look at
1: what services you need and uh, the
2: complexity of the estate, and then find a law firm that will give you what you expect to get at a price that you think is reasonable.
1: And back to our financial planning discussion, we talk about diagnosing before prescription. It's the same thing here, right? Because everybody's estate is different. You might run into a situation where somebody may have ties to the U.S. that they may or may not have been aware of, and that can create issues of its own. So where am I going with that is just to say like, look, Yeah, you can go do that will kit from wherever, Staples. It doesn't necessarily mean that it's right for your situation. And you're suggesting that probably better to get some advice before.
2: I think of it the same way, you know, if people are used to using an accountant when they're filing their taxes every year. In most cases, I think you get what you pay for, you know, from the standpoint that you're paying people for their expertise, for their ability to offer sound advice that will help you achieve whatever goal you're trying to achieve. And in the case of an estate lawyer, you want to know that they understand your situation and they make sure that the documents are drafted the way you intend them.
1: And those legal costs can be tax deductible, right? I believe so. Yeah, I think they can. Just the same as like professional investment costs or accounting fees. These are professional expenses that you can claim. So just another couple of quick points. One of the things, and we're going to get into this in a subsequent
2: episode, but When you start planning your estate, it actually helps you to organize your records and make sure that things like beneficiary designations are all properly in place on the various types of accounts or investment accounts that you might have. I would say once a week, I have a call with a client who says, can you just check to make sure the beneficiary is my wife on my RSP or whatever? And Not the same client, different clients. Different clients, ideally. Somebody's not calling every week. It would be a different discussion in that case. But so it's a good opportunity to make sure that the beneficiary designations are current, not out of date. Things could have happened. And just as I mentioned, when we're talking about revisiting the estate plan on a regular basis, it's a good opportunity to go through, make sure that all of the titles and the beneficiary designations, everything is current and correct. The best time to plan for the estate is definitely now, if you haven't started, now's the right time to do it. And again, revisit it on a regular basis because of course, unfortunately nobody likes to think about their own mortality and what could happen, but accidents happen, people fall ill, and there's no sense delaying starting. And the best benefit of having done this is that you have peace of mind. And that's the whole idea when you can leave on your trip and know that if God forbid anything were to happen, that your family is taken care of. So that's it for part one of estate planning. On further episodes, we're going to get into things like, well, when you're drafting the will, you've got to remember and keep track of every single thing you own. We have discussions with clients. Uh, so what do you have? Well, I've got an RSP and an investment account. And then you talk a little bit later, they say, oh yeah, no, no, we've been saving, we've got a bunch of money in the US that we're looking to buy a condo. Oh yeah, and I did I mention, yeah, we've got a condo for my daughter and... Things like that. So they come up and people don't think about them. So it's important to do a complete inventory. And we'll talk about that on a later episode.
1: Right on. So yeah, we will do a couple episodes on estate planning. But next week, Greg, we have a guest joining us. We have Sarah Newcomb from Morningstar. And Sarah is an author and a behavioral finance expert guru. And I'm looking forward to that discussion because I think this actually rolls into that quite nicely.
0: That'll be fun. I'm looking forward to that as well. All right. Till next time. Thank you for listening to the free lunch podcast hosted by the CM group at CIBC Wood Gundy to subscribe to this podcast to get more realistic insight on investing or to connect with one of our talented partners. Please head on over to markets-work.com. We'll see you next time on the free lunch podcast. 2021.